Welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry and to provide ongoing training and resources to existing care ministries. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, and with me today is Mary Haynes, and she is a member of the National Team for the Caring Congregation. And together we have uh, helped facilitate several webinars on the this model of care, the Caring Congregation model of, of congregational care ministry. Um, but today we are talking about infertility and miscarriage. Um, it's an incredibly heavy, difficult topic, and we know that it can be very triggering for some. Uh, so we want to encourage you um, that if you do need additional resources, please reach out to your pastor or find uh, professional mental health care in your community to help you talk through this and, and walk through this if perhaps you find yourself on this journey. But today, Mary and I want to talk about it from our own personal experiences to help pastors understand infertility and miscarriage, and also um, to help congregational care ministers who are caring for those who are um, going through um, perhaps a season of infertility or a season of miscarriage, knowing that this, uh, this information and what we're sharing can truly help to equip um, those uh, uh, caring for those going through these this difficult time. So, uh, Mary, thank you for joining me today. Um, and it's I've good heard, to be with you. Yeah, and I've I've heard some of your story, and um, we have so many parallels. And we, mm-hmm. um, it's it's not one of those things that you ever think that you want to be in this club, um, right? Yeah, definitely um, not. <laughs> yeah, but we we find ourselves here, and both of us. Um, have have healed and are healing from this part of our life, and I know that it, our stories and our um, perspectives can certainly help others. Um, so, I do want to define just for people who are unaware: infertility is defined as not being able to get pregnant or conceive after one year or longer of unprotected sex, and after six months for women over the age of thirty-five. Um, and infertility does not only affect women but males as well. And secondary infertility, which is also something um, I think more and more people are becoming aware of, is when a woman has previously given birth to a baby, but is unable to conceive again. And um, that certainly is something that is not talked about often (laughs) as Mm -hmm. well. That's right. So, and then of course, miscarriage is the term used when the loss occurs before 28 weeks of gestation. However, some women miscarry before they even know they're pregnant. And of course the term stillborn is generally used when a fetus is delivered beyond 20 to 28 weeks, but is not living. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, a lot of heavy terms, but I think it's important to understand when I we agree. talk about these heavy terms. Uh, Mary, do you want to share a little bit about uh, your story and your journey? Sure. Um, I'll start with 
I came from a family of very fertile women. Uh, never in the history of my family had anybody dealt with infertility or struggling to get pregnant. First time my sister tried, she got pregnant. Um, my mom had you know, four healthy kids. So I just didn't ever hear stories about miscarriage or having trouble conceiving. Um, I did have an aunt that did have a, some endometriosis. I will correct that, but she did end up having um, three kids. So once you have typically have a baby, if you struggle with endometriosis often, uh, that kind of fixes the problem. And uh, that was the case with her. But with me, um, I guess my journey started out. Um, I, I married later. It was about I was in my 30s. It was actually a second marriage. The first one ended sadly in divorce. And uh, and I don't talk about this very often, but my first husband was sterile by choice. And I entered into that marriage knowing that I probably, you know, we, we wouldn't have kids together. But we had talked about adoption or some other options or maybe just not, you know, having kids because he had a daughter from another marriage. And I didn't think that would really affect me. I was kind of love is blind and all that going into this marriage. Well, you know, and then in hindsight, I, I look back and think that did bother me more than I realized, you know, really admitted. Um, but when... Um, my husband, my current husband and I got married. We'd known each other longer than I'd ever known the other guy. We were childhood friends and um, we got married. We've been married about a year and we knew immediately we wanted to start trying to get pregnant because we were already in our 30s, mid 30s. After a year, we went to a doctor and said, you know, we're not getting pregnant. What's the deal? We started doing some shots. You know, the, we, you start out with the cheaper things and you have all the testing and the prodding and they didn't really find anything wrong with me, but they put us on shots. And uh, so finally I got pregnant and I was so excited. All right. So, yeah, and, you know, that mm -hmm. awesome got pregnant. Yay. Good. We're done. And uh, I was about 13 weeks pregnant. We had people at our house and we were finally telling people mm -hmm. and we had a little party. And um, by the end, you know, by that weekend, I started spotting. Mm -hmm. And I ended up miscarrying and uh, it was a huge blow. I was yeah. right at the point where you start to think this is safe. You know, I'm good. Sure. You know, and I really didn't think it would ever end in a miscarriage because mm -hmm. I, who, whoever told me about that. Right. Sure. And uh, it was, I, re I remember the day, like it was yesterday and it was just really sad for both of us. And we came back from the hospital and uh, I did, I was lucky. I didn't have to have a DNC. So that was good. Um, I got to come on home um, and my husband was trying to cheer me up, which I think going into infertility is going to be a challenge for any marriage, mm -hmm. whether they're healthy or not. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you go into it, you got to know that you're going to have to work hard to, to manage these levels of disappointment. So anyway, after that time, so we we carried on and we decided we're not going to let this stop us. You know, if if uh, it ended, there was probably a good reason. Um, maybe it wasn't going to be a viable pregnancy and it could have been worse if we'd gone through with it. So, you know, OK, we'll go again. And we had to work really hard. We finally got pregnant again. And this is one of those times like you were talking about, Joy, where sometimes um, you can have a miscarriage and not even know you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. Had we not been checking I wouldn't have known I was pregnant because I miscarried at that point at about five or six weeks. I mean, I okay. barely was pregnant. And then, you know, I got the positive test and then turned around, went to go to the doctor and there was no heartbeat. 
So it did that one that one didn't last very long. And that was it. And then I couldn't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then you start in on the heavier drugs. And then you start in, you know, making the appointments to uh, have, you know, I well, we did IUI. Then we would start to do in vitro and we started talking about that. IUI was first, but then in vitro. And I remember at that point, see, you start thinking about now it's going to be expensive and insurance isn't going to cover it. So, but people really don't talk about it. It's the financial side of infertility and it's a big issue. And this is where it can, you know, it can really be a stressor on couples and mm-hmm. on a marriage. So you have to be realistic knowing the expectation. The other thing I want to talk about is the ups and downs, the roller coaster ride. Uh, you're taking a lot of hormones and it really does affect your personality in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of crying and a lot of joy and a lot of loss, you know, sure. all in one month. And so you have to kind of be on the same page as a couple mm-hmm. and you have to hold tight. And so it's not for everybody. And sometimes you have to back off and get off the train for a mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. and not do it. I mean, but the most important thing has to be the marriage. Um, sure. We hope that you find this episode of The Caring Congregation helpful and informative. Check out our website for more resources, thecaringcongregation.com. Also, consider joining us for our national webinar, which is online October 22nd through 23rd. And now back to our conversation. Um, It started for me when in my first marriage, I knew that I wanted children. I knew that I wanted to be a mother. I have journals from when I was seven and eight years old about my goals, my dreams. And one of those was to be a mother and to have lots of children. And so when I got married young and I soon discovered it was a really dysfunctional marriage, I I realized quickly that I could not have children with this with this man. I, I, I could not have kids with him um, because he was a child and, and it just, it was so difficult and it took everything in me to work on our marriage. And I knew that that would just have to wait. I knew it was not going to be safe to bring children into that marriage. And then sadly after seven years and it, it ended with his um, infidelity, it was crushing for me. I remember our marriage, um, came to an end about the time uh, around Mother's Day. And I have these these very vivid memories sitting in church in May, and I sobbed the entire service. Um, I Looking back, I probably wouldn't advise for someone like me to even go to Mother's <laughs> Day to church. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was Everybody not. Everybody gets a rose but you, right? Yeah, and I wanted to be a mom so bad. And and after my marriage ending of seven years, I knew that I was like starting over and that dream was even further away, which was like you said, like another level of disappointment. And and I really had to spend that time after my divorce um, healing from the loss of the dream because you think that you're going to have children with this man and mm-hmm. and just trying to be okay with being a, sing- a newly 
single person, um, but also holding that dream out there of someday I, I know I'm feel called to be a mom and someday I'm going to be a mom. And how do I, how do I hold that dream while also healing myself while, while also um, trying to be the right person instead of looking for the right person. And I feel like all that, that time equipped me uh, in tremendous ways. And so years later, I, I meet this phenomenal man who, like I've heard you say, like, it was just like, talk about your husband. I feel the same about mine. Like he was just, he, he's in a fantastic man that I knew would be a great father from the beginning. I've never had a single doubt in my mind. And so we're, we're married and, you know, we both have this dream to start a family and then nothing. And it's just that the month after month after month of disappointment. And um, we sought treatment pretty early in our infertility journey, only because um, insurance, you know, I, I have fantastic insurance, which would help with a lot of it. But then also our age, um, being over 35, both of us, mm-hmm. um, we knew that kind of the, the clock was ticking. And we certainly felt that Loudly, pressure. right? Yeah. <laughs> We felt that pressure um, in, in many ways, and especially from society, which is not helpful at all. Um, so we sought treatment and um, for our unexplained infertility after we did all the testing and everything. And the first embryo transfer after our, our the, for my first round of IVF, sure enough, uh, I was pregnant. And just that whole excitement, like you mentioned, is just... I was so elated uh, and it was like, finally, finally, finally at six weeks, six or seven weeks, we saw the heartbeat and the doctor was super confident. He's like, Oh, you know, miscarriage rates from here are super low. Congratulations. We're so happy for you. We'll see you back in nine weeks. And that's when, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll graduate from here and you'll move on to, um, to a doctor midwives group. And I was continuing the shots and, and I don't, I don't want to glaze over the, the shots for the IVF, the shots for, for the progesterone and oil, um, even to get to that point was excruciating, mm-hmm. um, incredibly difficult. And here I am trying, you know, having, having a full-time job as an ordained minister, trying to keep some sense of normalcy while having this incredible stressor in my personal life happening. Um, like you mentioned, the emotional roller coaster was all so much And it truly was trying to keep peace in my own life in the midst of this journey. And I go in for, actually, uh, we both go, my husband and I go in for the nine-week appointment. And I knew immediately something was wrong. I knew immediately that that the doctor couldn't find the baby. And You knew from his expression or did you know before you even walked in the door? No, from his expression on, Mm -hmm. uh, from the sonogram and he kept looking Mm -hmm. and he kept looking and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm not, I don't, (laughs) I don't know much medical stuff, but something's wrong. And he said, I'm so sorry. The baby's not there. We can't find, then there's no heartbeat and we can't find (sighs) the baby. And my, oh my gosh, our, my world just. Um, I just, uh, it was shattered. I can see it still hurts you today. Yeah. 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 And this is about two years ago, even. Yeah. Um, and I have never felt so low. I've never felt so um, <laughs> lost and just like time stood still 
Yeah. And I just bawled. I, I bawled with so much pain and anger and frustration. And and I remember Ricky just hold you know, doctor said, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you guys to have some time and, and come, you know, come to my office when you're done. And he just held me and I just I, I, I wailed. And um I just remember thinking, why? 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 And um and, and Ricky didn't know what to say. He just held me and and that, that was such a devastating time. We go to the doctor's office and I was at this point, I'm just numb. I'm numb. There's no, really no other way to describe it. And we're sitting in the doctor's office and we talked about some options. And I, I did decide, I, I, I decided for me, the best choice was to have a DNC. So a few, several days later, I had the DNC, which again was just another very traumatic experience. You don't ever expect like that's what you're going to have to have a surgery for. Several mm-hmm. weeks later, I had remaining tissue. I'd have a second surgery. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It was so hard. I was gracious. Uh, my, my senior pastor was gracious to allow me to have a, a week off of work, um, which I'm grateful for that time. And I encourage anyone you need that time. You need that time. Help, help people take that time. Your whole world is just upside down. You need that time to process. You need that time to think through what's happening. You need time to grieve. And I needed to do that. I needed to do that in my own way, in my own space, in my own place. Um, I couldn't just jump into pretending that everything was good. I mean, here I, we had, we had lost our baby, our Mm -hmm. first baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we went on to do several other embryo transfers. Several didn't take. I had to do a second round of IVF. I had another early miscarriage at about four and a half, five weeks with twins um, that had started to grow. And then and then I, I miscarried those. Um, I did a third round of IVF um, in 2020. Every, every experience is so unique. And yet that fear, that trigger of, I could lose this baby again. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, it was always in the back of my mind. And when I, so in July of 2020, end of July, 2020, after the third round of IVF, the third retrieval, we uh, transferred an embryo and it took and we were, you know, pregnant as pregnant again. And at about week six or seven, I had some intense bleeding that I thought for sure I'd miscarried again, but I didn't. Um, but it's that scare. It's that fear. And I finally, I remember having this like prayer with God of like, God help me to, to trust you that if I miscarry again, you are present. If I carry this baby to term, you are present. You are there. Um, and and help me to choose hope every single day. Help me to choose the hope. And that's how I have, that's how I, I've lived every single day. Um, and, and when we're recording this, I'm uh, almost 39 weeks pregnant. Um, Yay! We just will- yes. <laughs> and when I, and then when this launches, um, I'll have had the baby, but it's it's something that has sustained me, but I also it was hard to be joyful, wasn't it? Even oh, yeah. through this pregnancy, because you were so fearful. Yeah, 
I had to choose it every day. I, yeah. had to, I had to choose that joy. I had to choose that hope every single day, every day. I like how you said you had to choose it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's important. Yeah. And yet I am very, very well aware is, is in the fact that this is not the ending for many, 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 many women. This is not the ending. And so I, I, I'm curious to hear kind of the rest of your story. My and, story? Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah how- I had a different ending. Um, sure. And everybody everybody has a different story. But, oh, my gosh, I could resonate with so much of what you were saying. Oh, my gosh, it is a roller coaster ride. True. And, and I will say something because we'll probably touch on this a little bit later, too, about um, you know, everybody comes to you all of a sudden with advice when you're trying to get pregnant. Have you oh, noticed that? Yes. And yes. everybody knows, you know, and sometimes that advice you know, the people mean well, but sometimes it hurts. And, you know, they'll tell you things to try to make you feel better, but it makes you feel worse. So just be really Absolutely. careful about giving advice to people who are going through it. And, you know, there's just so many emotions wrapped up in all of it. And um, every story is going to be completely different. Sure. For me, it was, um, you know, we struggled through the infertility. We finally um, got to a point where we, I remember it was the Olympics when they were in Atlanta. Yeah, 96. And we lived in Alabama at the time. So we yeah. weren't that far. We were about an hour away, hour and a half, I think. And so we had just made an appointment to have um, our first round of in vitro that week. We were going to meet the doctor. And it was during the week that they ended up having the Olympics. So they called us. We had made the appointment way in advance. And they called us and said, we're going to have to shut down the clinic because of the Olympics. And we're too close to all the crowds. And we're just going to change your appointment date. And we're like, oh. so here we were another disappointment, but you know, we were watching the Olympics and all of a sudden we get this and, and we only had enough money left. I think at this point to do the, you know, in vitro or adoption, but not mo- both. And we had talked about adoption and I, and I will preface this to say it is not for everyone. And uh, it's hard. It's another very hard and a very emotional roller coaster. This particular uh, baby, and I won't go into a lot of detail because this is really not about adoption. But in that situation, it was a he had um, some eye issues. There were some, you know, so there were some health issues they had to discuss us about. And you have to make a quick decision. Long story short, we ended up adopting him. It turned out to be a great experience. And six years later. We adopted another one. It took us a long time to get the second one. And mm-hmm. all that time, I kept hearing people say, oh, you know, you adopt a baby. I bet you're going to get pregnant right away. It always happens, you know, because the pressure's off. And there mm-hmm. is a lot to be said for pressure because pressure does sure. Sure. Um, sometimes prevent you from getting pregnant. Also, and I will say this, and this is a side note that I know you know about and people don't like to talk about, but, you know, all that on-demand having sex um, to get pregnant does kind of really mess up your sex life. I'm sorry, I'll admit it. I mean, it does because it becomes a job for the man and it what becomes less yeah, intimate. And so you have we had to find our way back to that mm-hmm. intimacy. And that's a yeah. whole nother process because you don't want to destroy that because that's beautiful. Um, there's still a little piece that you, you know, yes. Would I love my own children made out of my DNA and my husband's DNA? Absolutely. And are there challenges with adopting other people's children? Yeah, there are. And I mean, you know, because even as much as you think that 
living with you, they they do act a lot like you, but also you you see where DNA comes in. Sure. And and I think what's important is that we don't project how someone's story is going to play out. Absolutely not. And we yes. can't we can't even guess. I, I mean, honestly, I think when in when in doubt, when in question, the best way to support someone going through infertility, going through miscarriage, going even through through adoption is just to listen. Like Absolutely. keep your mouth shut and just yes, don't give advice. Yes. Don't give advice. Don't try to project. I can't tell you how many times, Mary, I would hear, you know, people would get wind of the, uh, of my miscarriage or the infertility and they would say, you know, my neighbor da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. my sister, this is what happened to her. And it's like, what it does is it, it takes the focus off of, of my pain and grief and my struggle and my journey. And it then turns it and almost like a projection of like, this is what could happen. And I, and here's the thing. I know all the, I know the outcomes. Like if we're going through this, especially (laughs) like we know, we know the outcomes, we know the possibilities. What I need in that moment is, wow, that's tough. You're going through Mm -hmm. a lot. You are empathy. Yeah. You are brave. You are so strong in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the loss and the grief, God is right there with, with me, with you going through that pain and suffering as well. Mm-hmm. I, I walked a lot with, um, with Mary in this journey, oh, um, yeah. with her seeing Jesus on the cross, her suffering, her loss of how that must have felt to lose a child. And I don't, I don't care if it's, if it's an embryo, that that doesn't make it to the the blastocyst stage, or mm-hmm. if it's a three week uh, <laughs> pregnancy where you just get those two lines and you're so happy, and, and you miscarry, or if it's if it's at ten weeks or twenty or thirty weeks, or if it's a stillborn child, or or beyond, you know, you lose a, a teenager or an adult child, like that grief of losing a child, losing something so dear is just devastating. It's devastating. I agree. And I think it's really important to not keep it under the rug. I think it's okay to talk about that. Just like when people die, we have funerals to celebrate their life, right? And we talk about them and and the memories of talking about them make us feel better. You know, it's the same with a, a you know, a baby that's stillborn or whatever. And maybe we didn't get to know them very long, but mm-hmm. if you carried a child even for a minute in your womb, you know, there's a story there and you want to remember that experience because sure. that was, you know, you, you don't have to just not talk about it. I think that it, it shouldn't, it's not shameful. Right. And, no. And, mm-hmm. and I think especially we as pastors need to talk about it more. We need to normalize this sadness and grief and pain. We need to normalize the, the talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. Normalize the expression of it. Um, we even have a, a, a support group. For That's infertility awesome. and awesome. Uh, at our church, because there are enough people that sure. said, Let, you know, let's get together and let's yeah. have one, you know, yeah. um, just to say, I hear you. I feel your pain. I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I also find that sometimes there's there's 
there's also times when you're not able to talk about it. You're not able to express how you're feeling. I think it's important to, um, I want to point out to people if, if you're aware of someone who's had a miscarriage or, um, wanting to, to have a family or, or, or be pregnant, not to ask them, Oh, you're pregnant now. <laughs> are you, you know, are you pregnant now? Are you with child? Are you, cause <laughs> oh, I never ask the woman if she's pregnant. <laughs> oh, I know, but you'd be surprised. Like, well, how's that going? And it's such a private journey as well. I think the, the other approach to that is like, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Um, I just want you to know you've been on my heart and my own prayers. And I know what that means. <laughs> I, and, and, and I would be, I would hate to be caught off guard. I had to even tell my parents and my, and my sister, don't bring up my infertility until, unless I bring it up. If I'm in a mood that I want to talk about it and talk about this pain and this grief right now, I'll bring it up, but don't out of left field say, well, how are you processing your grief today? How are you feeling today? You know, are you, where's, what's the next step? You know, what's the, don't, I don't need that extra pressure. Um, Mm -hmm. But instead Mm -hmm. wait for the cues from the person going through that to, to then, to then talk about it. And even just a quick note, Hey, I'm praying for you. I just want you to know I'm I'm thinking about you and on your grief journey um, Mm -hmm. is really important. Not, you don't want to blindside people uh, and catch people off guard because people may not feel comfortable talking Mm -hmm. about it in that moment or that day. I think also people, uh, pastors, congregational care ministers need to remember uh, dates, dates of, of loss, um, Mother's Day is so hard. Hard. Um, I I think acknowledging it's not a happy day for many people. <laughs> it's a difficult day. It, it can be a very difficult day. Um, acknowledging that, it, it, stating it, saying it, um, calling on people who have lost children, who have lost, who have had miscarriages, um, even that weekend, like you know, we all know the date is on the calendar. We all know what's coming up. Like, and, and, and the TV commercials remind us mother's day is coming. Um, but reaching out specifically to those women and, and, and partners who, um, who are struggling, um, knowing of, Hey, I know this holiday is coming up. This is really difficult. Father's day is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really need to be conscious of, um, even, even times, um, in the church when we have very family centered times and you see that again, you see that family up there, um, baptisms, baptisms are really hard and can be a trigger for, uh, persons without children. Um, I remember doing my very, my very first baptism, um, after I had lost our first baby two years ago. Oh, that was so tough. Wow. It was so tough to do. Um, so just being aware. I think, I, think, I think pastors, though, don't you think Joy can also take a different spin on it as well and change the perspective a little bit? So at Mother's Day, and I've often heard pastors do this, which I thought was really helpful as somebody who couldn't have their own children, 
say, and I wasn't a mom and, you know, they, I hated, I hated when they asked the moms to stand up in the room. I hated that. Yes. But um, I always appreciated the ones who said, Hey, you know, we know there are a lot of you in the audience, you know, or in the congregation that aren't moms. Maybe want to be, maybe you're struggling with that, you know, but you, you had a mom if you, and because see, that's the other thing. Some of us had lost our mom. So when I lost my mom, mm-hmm. I felt the same grief, you know? Absolutely. So, yes. So you, I think you have to recognize that there are all kinds of moms. Pretty much every woman got a, a flower, you know. Yes, they yes. Please don't single out the moms, because yeah. I yeah, because I mean, yeah. now well-meaning pastors would try to you know recognize just the moms, but that was really painful for the ones yeah. who did yeah. that traditional definition. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great, great point. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think acknowledging all the emotions, all the feelings are out there that every we all approach this day. Um, and, and I almost wonder what I've tried to do is kind of take it into a different direction of leaning into the qualities. You could use Mother's Day almost as leaning into the qualities of a mother in God. Oh, I love that. Instead of making it about us, making it about how do we get that mothering um, love from God and how do we then um, emulate that mothering love from God. Just an idea for pastors and, and how they and, deal with. Yes. And what things. is a mother? What mm-hmm. does it mean to be a mother? Not so much that you gave birth to a child. Sure, there are a lot of mothers out there that never gave birth. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think it's you, you hit it. Joy is what is a mother and what is a meta- mother mean to you? Mm-hmm. You know, because it could be, um, me thinking about my own mother sure. or somebody else's mother that was like a mother to be. Sure. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a great, uh, a great talk, even in the midst of the pain and the difficulty, just to be able to talk about this. Um, and, and I hope and pray that this is uh, helpful for those going through infertility, miscarriage, um, in in knowing that in the midst of all of this, God is, uh, is present. God grieves with us. God hopes with us and dreams with us. And um, this is such a, a difficult, difficult season, difficult season, difficult journey. You're not alone yeah. in that. Gracious God, thank you for your never ending presence in the deep pain and the, the grief that those who experience miscarriage and infertility, stillborn, um, difficult decisions, difficult health uh, problems. God, we know that through all of this, you are present and you will never leave us. And God, however we can support those going through these difficult times, give us the nudge, give us the the resources, equip us to be that presence for others so that others may feel your love and your peace and your grace even in the midst of these difficult times. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. We hope that you found it helpful. Go back and check out any podcasts that you may have missed and be sure to join us for next week as we explore other areas of care. Be sure to subscribe and like and give us a great review. Also, share this podcast with your family, with your friends, with your pastors, anyone that may find this helpful. Be sure to check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com for our upcoming webinar and information on our books that are out by Abington Press. 
Until then, may God bless you and keep you.